This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello and welcome to Hoosock Podcasts. I'm Jacob and I'm here with Christian. Hello. Martin. Hey. And our guest for this week, Freya. Hi. Freya, just a warning. Good luck. <laughs> That's a warning. You should know that's a warning. <laughs> this week a warning would be bad luck. <laughs> trust me, it will be bad luck. This week, our theme is fiction come to life, with Patrick Troughton's The Mind Robber and David Tennant's The Unicorn, The Wasp. So let's start with The Mind Robber. Uh, following on from the last episode, which we haven't seen and therefore won't talk about, the Doctor tries to escape a volcanic eruption by taking the TARDIS out of time and space, a plot which has probably been done at least seven times. And they end up in the land of fiction, a world where, weirdly enough, there are a bunch of fictional characters come to life. So, what do we think? I love it. You love it? It's a great episode. I mean, I love a lot of Troughton. It's a shame a lot of it's deleted because the BBC were um, not nice people about it. <laughs> When has the BBC ever been nice about Doctor Who, though? The Michael Gray treatment was my favourite treatment. <laughs> Is that because of the butterfly effect? If he got cancelled, then Colin Baker got big Finnish audience where he was better. Yeah, he is significantly better, to be fair. <laughs> to some, yeah, I agree. <laughs> the Holy Terror was great, right? Yes. <laughs> anyway, Mind Robber. Yeah, that was... Yeah. I, I think... It, it was, it's not my favourite Troughton episode. There are so many better ones than The Mind Robber, but it's still quite fun. It's got interesting ideas and uh, executions as well. Especially seeing as this, I think, is one of the big ones that had very, very little budget. Yeah, you can kind of tell. I mean, that's, I know that's all of them. Yeah, <laughs> I the think bit... this one in particular had suffered budget cuts. Yeah, well, there's the bit where Jamie climbs up and he's like, oh, all these trees are letters. And it's clearly just like a flat board. Someone's like, bought some wooden letters with B&M. <laughs> he just got like M. They're playing Scrabble. No budget. Sorry, Frey? I think it actually did well with no budget because the premise, you can, it's a land of imagination. So you could basically do anything and make anything and it will just, like you can say it's just come from their minds. So they could basically just work with whatever they had in the prop cupboard and make it into something really cool. Yeah, and it had uh, about, um, it had a Medusa stop motion, which was actually really cool. Um, when the snakes on her hair start moving, that was actually really interesting. Um, and I like that effect. I like some of the things they did that actually ended up looking quite creepy, even though it was really, really basic effects because there was one scene where Zoe and Jamie were just stood there kind of still and vacant but beckoning and there was mist around them and literally the only effect was mist but it really creeped me out. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, all of classic Who, I think especially the early stuff, is just an answer to we have three pence to work with, how can we stretch out all the value? Doctor Who does have the greatest solution to production problems. For, for example, in this story, um, Fraser Hines, who plays Jamie, had chicken pox during episode two, which really proves this was in the 60s if you're getting chicken pox. And so... Don't discriminate. <laughs> who gets chicken pox these days above the age of three? It's called shingles, Jacob. Wait, this isn't, this isn't a med... I know it's called Doctor Who, but this isn't a medical podcast. 
But yeah, so Fred Hines was ill. Instead of, you could have always written him out of the plot, but what they did is have him lose his face, Troughton have to reassemble his face, and then, but reassemble the wrong face, so it just had a completely different actor. I like fake Jamie, though. <laughs> you like fake Jamie? Placement. It's, it's quite of a throw, but you, it just, it's allowed to work in the land of fiction. Yeah. <laughs> it's really clever. It's not the first time they've done that, because it's in Celestial Toymaker. Well, they, they didn't do this, but it was the plan that they were going to write Hartnell out of the series, not as a regeneration, but they were going to turn him invisible. I, th- I think they still do. They turn him invisible, when he came back, he'd just be a different person. Yeah, well... Even more blatant. If if that happened in Toymaker, it would make it a significantly controversial episode and people telling you to watch it or not. Oh, oh, Celestial Toymaker be a controversial episode, Christian. Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't know that. Uh, um, Also on the notes of um, Jamie and Zoe, like, I enjoy Jamie and Victoria. I also enjoy Jamie and Zoe. Um... And due to, you know, later six meeting Jamie and stuff like that, we do get audios um, actually with specifically Jamie, Zoe, the sixth Doctor and the Land of Fiction returning, um, which is quite interesting. So quite a lot has been based off just a mind robber's premise. Um, it has quite a bit of a legacy in that regard. Yeah, it's, it's, it is one of those concepts that you almost feel got used up too early. It's just going Land of Fiction... <laughs> Sorry, Christian's being very professional and typing in our podcast notes as I'm trying to work. So I'm actually going to shut those off. So good luck improvising, you git. <laughs> but yeah, the land of fiction is something, if like you did that now, you'd... I mean, what would that look like if you made that today? What kind of fictional works would you add in? What would you expect? Um... Oh, they'd probably use regeneration effects at some point. Yeah. <laughs> because the new who loves regeneration effects. Oh, probably. I mean, you get, I mean, what are the most like famous fictional works of the last, I don't know, 50 years? You get Harry Potter in there. Oh, wait, I thought you meant like, um, I thought you meant like visual effects. Oh, no, not, not visual. Like, literally, what, what fictional characters would be in there? Oh, right. Um, Fantasy style stories as well, eventually. You'd have to because copyright law. Yeah. BBC things. They could finally do the Sherlock crossover. <laughs> <laughs> they actually, no, they, you're right, they would do a Sherlock crossover. That would be cool, actually. I mean, they, they, they sort of did a little bit in The Snowman. Yeah, but they, it's they actually did. Sherlock. It's get. Yeah, Matt, yeah it's, instead of Matt Smith just pretending to be Sherlock Holmes. Do you have a goldfish named Colin? No, thought not. I mean, it Nicholas Briggs actually, yeah. Briggs plays uh, Sherlock in the audio, so like we could totally get... Who does it Nicholas Briggs play? Like him and, him and Mark get... Are you, sh- are you sure Nicholas Briggs just isn't a pre Hartnell doctor at this point? Well, according to the Timeless Children, you never know. <laughs> Which was the joke and why I hate it. But... Yeah, you'd have, you would have Sherlock Holmes. I'm looking around my own bookcase, but I think it's almost um, flagrantly too homosexual. <laughs> I, I don't think it would make it in. Um, my bookcase has um, actually uh, Brandon Sanderson books on it, who's a great fantasy author. I don't know if he'd allow stuff to be used, but um, yeah. I mean, you've seen my bookshelf. It's a bit overkill. Oh, just a bit, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those of you who have the audio-only version of this podcast, which is all it. of you, 
yeah, you can't see what Christian is showing right now. Dear God. <laughs> you couldn't see what Freya's face was like either, but <laughs> just just I know there is my jaw up off the floor just then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's new? Uh, but I mean, they actually did do. Uh, there's a story by Derek Landy, who did these School Degree Pleasant books, called "The Mystery of the Haunted Cottage," and it's uh, Ten and Martha find this um, fictional world, and they do all the modern references. What well, I say, modern Great Expectations is in there. Um, Twilight is in there. <laughs> Uh, chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember the. Does point. Twilight use the great vampires? You know, no. Well, actually, Dracula is in there, and Rapunzel's there again. Oh, Mark Gattis also plays a Dracula in the audios. He also wrote it. You would. I mean, the modern one. You get. They just hire edit every other show. Stephen Moffat has done. They just write in like Tintin will be there as well. <laughs> Maybe they'll put Noddy in it this time. Noddy's not real, Martin. Hey, it's a land of fiction. Anything can happen. There's no Noddy. The land of fiction <laughs> and, like, uh, timeless children combined would create, like, an unstoppable force for the fandom's canon to just bleed in. Uh, it just means if Doctor Who ever gets cancelled again, there's infinite potential for literally anything. Yeah, and pretty it will much. Be They'll probably like if Doctor Who gets cancelled again. They'll probably like canonize looms and yeah. um, really irritate someone in this <laughs> podcast right now. This is, this is you if you get showrunner. Can I all for the four of us? I'm closest to being showrunner of Doctor Who, <laughs> and looms are definitely not canon. Oh, I will write <laughs> angry letters. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, that's a point, Christian. Now Frey is here. You're not outnumbered, but you're equally matched. Oh dear. Yeah. But I can say that Looms are canon to Freya and she's the one who will react negatively towards it compared to everyone else. May no, I refer it's dramatic. To... It's fine. May I refer to the fact that the Doctor does not remember the first 15 years of her life? I can't even remember. Well, that was in Ascension of the Sidemen, wasn't it? That she says something like that? I think so, probably. So yeah, that's... Well, yeah, I don't remember anything from Ascension of the Sidemen because nothing happens in it. So... But, but that's fact. So Chimnall canonised Looms just for everyone to be aware. The lack of memory isn't a canonization of Loom. <laughs> Otherwise, it. Paul McGann made Loom's canon. He did. I, I do like the, the tangents to go on this podcast where we're discussing the episode and maybe you've not seen the classic. So you're kind of, you're following along just by what we're saying. And then we'll say something like Paul McGann made Loom's canon and everyone in the call knows exactly what I mean. For context, the eighth doctor suffers severe amnesia all the time. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, unicorn and the wasp. Let's let people loop into things. Okay, yes. Unicorn and the Wasp is um, an episode written by Gareth Roberts, a man we will never mention mention again because we support trans rights here at Husok. And it's a murder mystery with David Tennant and Donna, with Agatha Christie's there, and there's a giant wasp. And that's basically all you need to know. So, yeah, hey, Unicorn the Wasp, yes, no. What do we think? Um, a wasp flew into my window this morning. That spooked me quite a bit. So I'm currently leaning on the no side of Unicorn <laughs> and the Wasp. It wasn't a giant wasp, though. Those aren't real. Do you have a magnifying glass in your room? On, on that shelf, I'd expect one, just so you can see I, everything. I'll note it down on Amazon. Um... 
So let me just uh, search in magnifying glass. I'm sad I don't have one. <laughs> well, what do you think, a unicorn? I can get one for £10. Stop buying <laughs> Dolph on our podcast. Freya what, Freya, what do you think of Unicorn the Wasp? I absolutely love it. It's actually one of my favourites ever, but mostly because I'm a literature student. I love Agatha Christie, so yeah, of course it's going to end up in my top five at some point. Yeah, it's, I, just, I love it. It's so good. And basically getting a, uh, my two favourite things smushed together, murder mysteries and Doctor Who, it's just perfect. Very good choice of words. I mean, I'm like not into literature as much in terms of the classic stuff, but I still love Unicorn and Wasp. Um, Ten and Donna's relationship is just so bubbly in it. The whole poisoning and scene and the charades is hilarious. Is to one watch. of the best things that City Davies Azira ever did. It's just Ten so ridiculous. Like, no, the doctor's being poisoned and could die or stop his regenerations, but also. Captain Racist. Captain Racist. Is that salt? No, that's too salty. Oh, that's too salty. <laughs> Amazing. I can never look at a Harvey Wallbanger the same way ever again. <laughs> Isn't it? You know that you know the reason they chose Harvey Warbank is because it's like another name for the cocktail of Sonic Screwdriver. Is it really? Yeah, there's a lot of references in that in that scene. Of like really um other than you know the thirty thousand Agatha Christie references that story has already. Yeah. But the stuff that only makes sense in like the nineteen twenties, like when the doctor goes up to Davenport and he needs ginger beer and he says ginger beer. Davenport goes, I beg your pardon. That's because ginger beer was like Cockney rhyming slang for a homophobic slur, and Davenport is gay. I understand that now. I will yeah, rewatch that at some point and look out for it. I, okay. I don't know if that violates our PG rating, so just work out what ginger beer rhymes with. Why didn't you tell us that in, um, in, during the watch session yesterday? Everyone because... was throwing through me out, and then you just. I gave you the original ending. Oh, yeah. I, I think I just like forgot that bit. Well, that scene goes at a mile a minute, doesn't it? <laughs> there is I more was, to say in that scene. There's yeah, I was focused on salt. That's too salty. <laughs> <laughs> you do what you can write something about. The doctor is dying and Donna is still giving him sass. <laughs> yeah. She totally would. No, um, one of my friends from home recently also rewatched the Unicorn and Wasp, and she was doing like a run through from episode one of New Who with Rose, and like once she got to Unicorn and Wasp, she just loved how balmy it was, um, and that is Unicorn and Wasp. It's no heavy episode, but it's just so fun to watch. It's so accessible. I think it's Lorna Davies called his the first attempt in New Who were total comedy. It worked, it and also funny. we get Jago back, so. <laughs> <laughs> It was great. I he's the same character. <laughs> if it was the same character, he'd be more racist, let's be honest. What? Jago isn't racist. Is he not? No. Neither Jago nor Lightfoot are racist. What are you on about? Jago Don't... and Lightfoot are beloved by fans. They got a whole spin-off series and Jago sang with River in one of the audios. And I was Freya just about exactly. to ask you, is that, is, is that him? <laughs> yeah. If I, yeah, it's so good. Um, I love that sing-along. So, no. Um, you fine. think I haven't mentally blocked out talons? Uh, hang on. Um, 
Okay, but what you're no, here? I'm just I'm I'm just checking something. Thank you. I'm doing my research. Um, no, like um, Christopher Benjamin's just so nice. Uh, Benjamin Baxter. It's a shame he passed away, but um, Christopher uh, Christopher Benjamin is still like going off and making new things for Doctor Who uh, in the fandom. Um, he's starred alongside Strax before, and he's going to meet the Paternoster Gang soon. Um, oh, yeah, he is. It's great. <laughs> Freya really is excited about one too now, apparently. Um, yeah, once again, you can't see Freya's face, but I'm presuming it's a lot more positive than last time. Yeah, um, Jenny, Vastra, and Strax will be hosting Christmas dinner for Jago. That's adorable. <laughs> and he's also, you know, had like stuff with a sixth doctor, Leela, um, proper adventures. He's kind of a. Yeah, in the series, Jago and Leela have a few box sets together. Um, yeah, I know. Um, can, we just... get, can we get this on track to people who are actually in the Fine. episode, please? Well, Christopher Benjamin is just like, he's really involved in Doctor Who still, so I was really happy to see him uh, in Unicorn and Wasp. I do, um, I do admire that, thing. after, what, 40 years since the first appearance, still performing yeah. pieces of the character. It's got, it's got a pretty good cast the episode anyway as well. Yeah, I mean, I can't... What's well, got... Um, I can't remember. Is it Felicity Jones? Jones? Yeah. yeah. Who's um, the unicorn. Who, was yeah, who was in Rogue era. One. Yeah. yeah, it was before she got really famous. Hmm. Yeah, but the unicorn was quite good as well. I, I, I like... Well, this is the accent change. Yeah. Doctor Who loves casting people before they're famous, doesn't it? Yeah, in... Terry uh, Mulligan. Or um, I'm gonna mispronounce his name. I know I am, but in Roberts's next script, *Plant the Dead*, you've got Daniel. Oh God, is that Daniel Kalea? Who was? Oh, yeah, um, I know who you mean. I don't yeah, know he was. In, he was in *Get Out*. He's like the yeah. protagonist in *Get Out*, and he was. He was in *Black Mirror*. Oh, yeah. He was in *Black Panther*, and you know, lots of other things. I haven't seen that episode in a while, so I was trying to remember what he knew he played in it. <laughs> it's uh, the second episode, right? It's like the talent show. Didn't yeah. the little kid from um, Human Nature and Family Blood get really famous as well? Thomas yes. Brody Sangster, yeah. yeah. Well, he he, we... he was Ferb in Phineas and Ferb, and that's he's, he was in Game of Thrones as well. <laughs> yeah, he's Ferb. <laughs> you don't know because he doesn't speak. <laughs> yeah, and um, well, sometimes. I mean, yeah, I may have missed it, but have we like Olivia Coleman is a classic example, and then um, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch in the audios, he actually auditioned for Sherlock while he was recording for Big Finish. Like he went on a lunch break to audition for Sherlock. <laughs> so yeah, little startups to big things. Michelle Gomez was in one with uh, Seven. She oh, was. Seven. Um, um, yeah, she plays some alien queen, I believe. Um, I still haven't listened to it. I'm gonna. <laughs> isn't, I mean, Frey will back me up on this. Isn't Gomez in the TV show already an alien queen? <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it took you a moment to get back. <laughs> Well, she could rule over me, anyways. <laughs> and hey, there's the PG. PG. Yeah, no, oh, no, it's CG. We tested. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, uh, like... I just mean I'll kneel at her feet. I don't mean. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we invite you? Uh, okay, I'm on that topic. I've got something to come back to in a bit, but I just like to discuss the original ending first. Yes. So mm -hmm. originally, I showed you all this yesterday, the episode was bookmarked by old Agatha. And she's like in a, you know, 
on a deathbed in the 1960s and she's remembering the events of this episode. Then at the end, when um, instead of the Doctor and Donna like going through his sea chest and going, yes, Agatha Christie, she had this book and it was published in five billion. It was, you know, she goes on forever. They actually go and meet Agatha Christie. They do, they do Vincent and the Doctor, essentially. Mm -hmm. And just show her the book and say, you are the best-selling author of all time. You're going to be remembered forever. Do you think, do you think that was better? Christian, you um, said you had a point on yeah, this. Yeah, so I watched it. Um, okay, so obviously it's a first cut and things are a bit rough. We don't have all the sound design to it, etc., etc. <laughs> I think the opening goes on for a slight bit too long. So Agatha's talking yeah, to agree with you first. And like, you get flashes to like scenes that'll accompany the episode, which is actually a cool effect. Um, but some like I think at points the way they did it, like they pointed out to Doctor, but actually could have been cool if it was like mysterious and like this man and this woman, which we knew who it would be about, and like you bookmark it. He was called the Doctor, and you know, cue credits. That's a classic cold open scene. Um that I'd have loved. But also um the end one where they go back to see Agatha and tell her she's a best-selling one. I think I actually prefer the way they did the episode in the end. I think it was nice that, you know, you just leave it to Faith that we know she'll be great, but Agatha herself doesn't necessarily need to know because the Doctor reassures us she has a good life. Um, and actually, there's a nice element of bit of sweetness to it there. Um, and just in general, the framing was interesting, but it totally worked without the framing as well. Um, I think it was okay to be cut. The, the fact that he also sort of hints, like, at when both Donna and the Doctor accidentally say things to her throughout the episode, like when the Doctor slips out Dame Agatha, and yeah. it's like, oh, sorry, not yet. Um, you know, I think that littered into the episode was enough, and it didn't need... Yeah, it's less in your face. ...going to see her. Um, it's nice that it's not as much in your face, because, um, yeah, Vincent and the Doctor did it later. I mean, admittedly, Wasp could have been the one to do it first, but in retrospect, it's nice that Wasp didn't do it because it means we have this variety of not always do we need, but people to find out, oh, yes, they will be famous. Sometimes we can just leave them to have their happy life. Yeah. Or you do it the day in the moon way and just go to Nixon. They're never going to forget you. <laughs> <laughs> just wink at the camera. I think right. I actually prefer the finalised one just because I think it actually keeps the Doctor more rooted in our universe that way. Because we never find out what happened to Agatha. Like, she never remembered. She uh, was assessed by doctors and seemed to have, like, actual genuine memory loss. And if we believe that she actually had her memory erased and only little bits bled through into her books, that actually keeps the Doctor in our universe and makes it a bit more, like, plausible, which I actually enjoy more than, like, fanciful like time traveling telling her that she's going to be famous in the year five billion i i just prefer the subtle way that they yeah it. no it's really nice yeah. the way they actually chose to finalize it yeah right there's a bit of <laughs> ignoring this entire podcast. there's um one element of unicorn the wasp that i think especially as adults you kind of question is the plot twist <laughs> of the identity of the best form. And again, spoilers. I should start putting spoiler warnings at the end, but honestly, I don't think I can spoil this. Is that Lady Edison, who's like the, you know, the lady of the manor, secretly had a relationship 40 years ago, produced a child, and that child grew up to be the murderer. But that child is also a shape-shifting wasp because the father was a shape-shifting wasp. So you have to wonder, 
Why? How did he get his stinger out? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the question, right? Well, yeah. I mean... The thing is, though, if he's a shapeshifter, then surely, when in human form, they are in human form. So I regret this immediately. As long as he didn't get angry, right? Um... Oh god. This. I mean, this is a this is a, a question, and I want to ask uh, Christian and Freya. You're both happily partnered. If one day your significant other came up to you and went, so here's the thing, I'm a giant wasp, would that be a deal breaker for you? The awful thing is I don't think it would. No, I don't think so. I would like, again, I would like want to see how it works, you know. And also clearly he's managed to um, conceal it from me in all these days anyway, so we can just be fine with it. Yeah, I mean, at the point, Look, at the point you accept, you know, homosexuality and all that stuff there's very little else I could surprise me <laughs> I mean to be honest I have to agree I mean I'm not in a relationship at the moment but if I was and they said oh I'm a wasp I'd probably go along with it but that's only because my last boyfriend was a cockroach so clearly I'm used to insects <laughs> <laughs> I guess I feel like this, was, this question was just... as well like if you immediately if they immediately say it when you're like on a first date or something oh by the way mm-hmm. I'm a wasp in disguise <laughs> that would be a red flag, but if you've been with them for a while, you know. But then, they're, but then they're lying to you. So yeah, but like also, but also, I guess like she only found out later. But you know, she loves him at that point. So if I love my partner, which yeah, then I'm not going to change it, right? Also, on your note of Kelcrow's Jacob, I'm not convinced that you asking this question wasn't just you wanting a therapy session over um, calling out your partner being a cockroach. I'll be honest, <laughs> I came up with that punchline at least a week ago. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I can't believe we ha- have actually dedicated a section of this to discussing the ethics of human wasp interrelations. <laughs> I think it's fine. Doctor does do the interspecies relationships. I mean, you've got Jenny and Vastra, but at least then say- you're up front. Like I have to be able to deal with my partner being partly a wasp. And it's at least not like, if I can fancy a lizard, then I can do it anything, can't I? <laughs> and also it's not confirmed the specifics of Jenny Vassar's relationship. Yeah, also, whereas Edison and the wasp, it's very much confirmed. To be fair, we never saw him in wasp form. Like he could be a right snack. No, no, we did. We saw him in wasp form. I don't remember. Fine. Well, I'll say my wasp was a right snack then. And like, <laughs> that one I <laughs> do, um, do you ever think like you're going to go for like a job interview in the future and you're going to have... Like, I'm not going to tell them about this podcast. Yeah, to, <laughs> yeah, you've got Depends, a job. On the job. Depends on the job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my anyway, should we move on to some questions? Some artist would actually get me hired for it. <laughs> yes, Martin, I think we should move on to some questions. So this, so this question comes from Emily, our treasurer, who of course isn't with us this week, and she's asked, who would we write into the Mind Robbers land of fiction? I'd... Sorry, I'm just still... Are we all... Well, I'll go, f- I'll go first, because <laughs> I don't, I'm a mature adult, he lied, and he's able to process this. I, who, who would I write in? Uh, to be honest, I would probably write some of my own stuff in. <laughs> I'd go really, like, meta. Like, not, not Doctor Who stuff, but other things I've written. I, I, you know, there's the Zoe approach in this episode, where it's like, oh, there's this superhero from a comic strip. 
who is completely fake. It's from the year 2000. And I don't see them, so clearly we're in the wrong time. You don't watch Doctor Mysterio. I was thinking that when the episode aired. <laughs> that's that's a whole other debate. But I, I would definitely do it better. I I have written a like a vigilante story, and I just put in the vigilante into my just to really break down the fourth wall. Um, what would you? What would the rest of you do then? I mean, I'm not very well read, so I'm not. I, I don't really know. But the first thought that came to my mind is, I would love it if I met Samwise Gamgee. And then he became a companion. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good one. That would be amazing. Then he could like cook potatoes for the doctor every day. It'd be like he's in college. Freya, what are you going to say? I think I go with my earlier thing of Sherlock because I think there's so many different interpretations of that character that you could sort of do anything with it, and it's not like writing in something like Harry Potter where it would end up really a bit cringe I mean come on you, there was actually just vaguely go back to Unicorn but Davies came up with an idea for the Christmas special of series 4 instead of the next Doctor the Doctor meets J.K. Rowling no no but I'm saying I'd want to because I'm going to do a Christian and quote the audios but there's um, a HP, HP Lovecraft audio and there's the issue that H.P. Lovecraft isn't the most um, yeah, sensitive of authors. They tackle it head on. Uh, six Flip and Connie. Uh, exactly. And, and I want to see that in like like 2021. I want like Jodie Whittaker to go to J.K. Roll and go, so you're a turf. But like, but, but yeah, in, it was really handled well in the Six Flip Connie. We had a, a non-binary companion as well for that episode as a one-off and they got to confront HP with all this. Oh, no. You put them in the J.K. Rowling episode, obviously. <laughs> anyway, uh, to drag things back on track, I think for Mario Land of Fiction, uh, I'll be slightly obscure because I love a certain series of books, but uh, if everyone, anyone's read Mistborn, I would put Kelsey in it just for him being so fun and chaotic. Uh, that will go over most people's heads, but if you've read Mistborn, then you'll know what I'm on about. I'll move to the next question. This is from Hawaiian. In Unicorn the Wasp, there are a lot of references to Agatha Christie's works. Do they work better when they're obvious or subtle? I didn't pick up on them regardless, so... Yeah, I, I, guess, <laughs> I, didn't. I guess it depends, again, on the context of how you're bringing it up. Because, so yeah, sometimes they sort of brought it up just randomly. Uh, not Not randomly, but just... It, it, it was for the sake of it as a joke yeah sort of yeah uh, murder at the vicar's rage when the title yeah. is murder at the vicarage yeah well how many uh how many references either direct book titles or just themes do you think there are in this episode i have the number written down what do we all Too think many. this is going to be Too many. Pick um, a number. i'm going to go with 10 you think martin thinks 10 I was going to say it because I think you told so me. I don't think I did tell you. Did you not? Uh, no, I, I didn't. It was another like 20. You're saying 20? Frey, what are you saying? 15. Not 15. Well, maybe I did cut, tell Christian because he's closest. It's 24. There you wow. go. I think oh he must have mentioned it somewhere. Exactly. My housemate who told this. me. It would have been 25. There is um. This was a Davies rewrite. He was amusing himself to, uh, by getting as many titles in as possible. And it, this is in the writer's tale, which is his correspondence with Ben Cook. 
And Ben replied and said, I'll give you 20 quid if you can slip in the race's title. And Davies did try. Oh my god! But he could. It's the um. Oh god, I can't say this. Davies is the same person who uh, called the title. Go on. The title is Ten Little and then a word I can't say. And then the the story. And then then there is a scene where Donna says, uh, "If you give me a moment to find it." Why do you do uh, that? Um, Davies is the same person who wrote Aliens of London as a title just so he could have AOL as an acronym. Um, and nearly caught us a River Song ending, which is where well, River Song well, comes yeah. from. The multiple titles for that, I remember those. It was either a River Song ending or Moffat's other ideas, uh, Forest Under Cal's Kingdom or Cal's <laughs> Untimely <laughs> Node Transition. Now we also know where Cal came from. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got, I found the quote. Donna says at one point, it's like 10 little, and then the doctor cuts off by saying, niggles aside, let's look in the library. <laughs> but Davies cut it, because clearly you're not doing yeah, that. That's too much. Yeah. That's too much. He, could, he could have got away if, if he did the Sailor Boys version like they did in the BBC adaptation, or the Wii game that I have played and is impossible to beat without a walkthrough. Yeah, I don't think. But I agree. Um, it's a good thing it wasn't in there. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a bit of a, like, it's unnecessary as well. Like, I get the yeah. joke, but, like, actually, it's pushing the comedy into just being a bit unnecessary, potentially. They, they have enough. More yeah. yeah, 24, it's probably enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one every two minutes. We're good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I think we'll leave it there for this week. Yep. So if you'll join us next week, we'll be discussing John Pertwee's The Time Warrior, mm-hmm. which is the introduction of Sarah Jane Smith. It's a great one. You should turn up. And one Martin can't vouch for, The Last Sontaran, which is an episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Sarah does love her Sontarans. I remember, oh, as a teaser, like I remember that Time Warrior has Sarah just... Her first introduction is just as someone who uh, is straight-up feminist revolutionary, I remember... Like the amount of revolution she inspires in her early character run. Mission, um, can I make a point? Yeah, that's next week's. <laughs> no, but it'll entice people to watch it, right? It's next great. time on Who's Up Podcast. Right, and we'll we'll see you all later. Bye. Awesome. See ya. Bye. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.